Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's pretty scary, some of the emails I've seen with, with people who, they've never been in debt. They've never been in debt before. Something, something has happened and they just don't know what to do. They don't know how to tackle two or three creditors that's chasing their, their, their payments. Some of the feedback we're seeing on some of the surveys are pretty astonishing, really, where they've, they've reached out for help. So that's definitely on, on an incline. Let's say you wake up tomorrow morning with the realization that there's a difficult conversation that you need to have with someone. Do you A, call them right away, or B, procrastinate and hope the situation resolves itself. Now, of course, you want to say A. I want to say A. But honestly, I'm not infallible, and nor are most people. It's all too easy to find a justifiable reason to put off some discomfort until later, or to cut short an uncomfortable experience, even if we know it's good for us in the long run. It's human nature. So when the success of your process relies on your customers having difficult conversations with you, as collections often does, You can either hope your customers will all defy their human nature and make the call they need to make, or you can try to remove the things that make a collections interaction uncomfortable in the first place. Welcome to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. I've worked in consumer credit strategy for 20 plus years now and held down roles across the credit life cycle, including in collections. That said, the last time I took a really close look at collections was over a decade ago. Still, we always say we learn the most from the mistakes we make. When was the last time you sought out your collections officers and really tried to get to the bottom of why consumers are ending up there? Because when a consumer ends up in collections, it represents a failure of the process, sure, but it's not just a failure of the process that we can budget for, it's a failure in the process that we can learn from. So I'd like to reimagine our collections teams, not just as a way to optimize the risk-reward balance, but as a source of learning, as an opportunity for us to improve our upfront affordability checks, to improve our client contact processes. And that's why I've invited Dylan Jones to the show today. Dylan is CEO of IEHub, a UK-based fintech that specializes in helping consumers who are in collections or heading towards collections to build accurate income and expenditure reports, and to share those with the lenders that are impacted. And they do this in a way that is convenient to those borrowers and which removes as many of the inconvenient hurdles as possible. So consumers no longer need to run away from collectors, but rather can have meaningful conversations. So Dylan, welcome to the show. My name is Dylan Jones. I'm the CEO of IEHub, 
My background very much is data and technology. I started my career very much with the credit representing agencies as with Equifax. I was then involved in the commencement of a new bureau called Call Credit many, many moons ago. And then I moved on to FICO, 14 years with FICO. And they're in that kind of decisioning space, decisioning across life cycle. So originations right through to collections and fraud. So I spent a lot of time in that collection and fraud space. And then spent some time with TransUnion um, more recently. So very much a blend of, of technology and, and, and data is, is my background. I have so joined nine months ago as a CEO. And I have very much is in that space of making the experience and what can be a horrific experience for the debtor more manageable for them, more sustainable for them. And whilst doing that, it's making it easier for the, the lender in dealing with the process from their side as well. Been around for a couple of years. By the time we had the product available, we've then been in the market for about 18 months, two years since then. Then obviously COVID struck. Where we've had successes really is based on kind of the individuals in the company. Their background was in utilities and debt advice. So that's where we've been successful. We've got a number of utility companies signed up now, some of the larger players, a couple of financial services and some of the retailers. And really, we've, had, we've got a broad spectrum of users across different sectors. Signed up the recent motor asset organization as well. And that's where we've been successful. Yeah, we've won numerous awards over the last couple of years. But more recently, we won two awards for best affordability solution and best solution in, in the call center. So great, great to get that kind of traction and that kind of recognition in the industry. And if we look a little bit at the nuts and bolts, how you make managing income and expenditure easier, perhaps not everybody here would be quite familiar with what that even means. Could you do a quick introduction to what sort of situation you're helping consumers with when they engage IE Hub? Sure. Anybody who is in collections or about to get into collection pre-delinquency, typically they owe money to between four and six different lenders. The process today is that they have to do a budget assessment or what we call an I&E, an income and expenditure. So that typically is a 45 minute, an hour's worth of, of effort to fill in that I&E. It brings severe anxiety, mental stress to individuals, and they have to do that four, five, six times, many times a year with the different lenders. Consumers would rather do that, not in the pressure of being with an agent over the phone, but rather do it on their own. So what we've developed is, is a platform that enables the consumer to fill in their INE. And once they've completed that, they can share that with any lender they have. So the four to six lenders they have, they can share it in that one, one platform. So it, it reduces that whole anxiety for the consumer. And then when the agent has the conversation with that lender, it's a much more kind of informed discussion for both the lender and the consumer then to have. So it's a much more informed and shorter process. It was a long time ago that I was actively involved in collections, but the biggest problem we were facing at the time, this was in the early days of mobile phones, and we weren't that connected to them. But the problem we had was as soon as a consumer went into collections, they would throw away their SIM card. And I think that just reflects the way that we tend to try and avoid difficult conversations, awkward conversations. It's human nature for most of us. Collections then became chasing the person, trying to get a hold of them, trying to have the conversation you both need to have. And by the time you could do it, invariably for many people, it was too late. By that stage, the debt had escalated even further. There's all sorts of extra fees and it's far harder to recover from it. 
In an earlier one of the episodes here, I spoke to Terry Franklin about collections, and he told a similar message that with COVID, consumers can now go on at many lenders onto a system and design, to some extent, the collections process You know, within the rules that are scoped by the lender. But it's a an easier process to do if you think about not being embarrassed to have that call. It means people have that call more often, and I think that's something we can forget about at the front end, you know, where we're, my background and a lot of the people that listen to this, we get involved in the numbers and the analytics and the probability someone's going to default. But as it gets to this point, there is a lot of human nature, right, that can make it worse. There's a probability of defaulting and then I guess a probability of actually having the call uh, when it's early enough. And so you are making a, a long process shorter. You're avoiding the logistical problems of a phone call where you're reading out numbers that get misheard and repeated. But also fundamentally, it's better suited to the psychology I would feel. And they're not just trying to finish a conversation so someone leaves him alone. Yeah, it definitely shift from it becoming a, what can be a very pressurized conversation where you're there, you're speaking to an agent, you're, you're under pressure to share those numbers and maybe sometimes share incor- incorrect numbers because of that pressure. Some utility companies, they want evidence of certain parts of the INE to be shared like documentation. So our system has that. So the patterns we're seeing are very interesting. The journey they go through in order to share that INE. They revisit their INE several times before they finally share the INE with the, with the lender. You can see you know, there might be two or three times they're going back and forth with their INE. They're updating it on our system, doing it in their own time. And then right at the end, maybe after a day or two, or maybe a couple of hours, they then share their INE. So it's a much more fulfilled INE to then have that conversation with the agent. As I said, it's a much shorter conversation. And obviously, they share that INE then with all lenders as part of building that INE network, which is what we're here to do. We've spoken a lot on this show about how important affordability is now in the eye of the regulator and how in pretty much every market around the world, regulators are asking lenders to get a lot more serious about measuring affordability. In a country like the UK, there's quite a lot of good information about income. If you've got something like open banking, there's good information about expenditures. But still, there's still a lot that could be learned from seeing consumers go through the INE experience. So these are obviously consumers who've been given a loan, and it turns out they couldn't afford it. And now they're redoing this process with far more rigor. Is there something you would say people in the front end of the business could look to learn? Or is this more a case of just sometimes things go wrong? From what we do, we only see the, the back end piece, the collection piece. Um, we've not done a great deal today yet on the front end piece. But we're definitely seeing the impact of maybe things have not been done correctly on the front end and how it's then manifesting in, in collections, for sure. So we, as I said, we do these surveys on a monthly basis. And I see some of the, I see some of the support emails that, that hit our system. And it's pretty scary, some of the emails I've seen with, with people who they have never been in debt. They've never been in debt before. Something, something has happened to them throughout the COVID period. And they just don't know what to do. They don't know how to tackle two or three creditors that's chasing their, their, their payments. So it's pretty scary seeing some of those emails. You're listening to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. If you're enjoying it, 
now is a great time to hit that little plus button to subscribe. Other follow button formats are also available. Let's get back to the show. You mentioned open banking there. I mean, open banking, it's a, it's a great technology. You mentioned front-end acquisition, taking on new new customers. I think it's tremendous. You know, as I say, great, great in the front end, but on the back end, it's got a long way to go. It'll get there. It will get there. But it's, it's got a long way to go in collections from what we're seeing. And it comes back to those examples of people who haven't been in debt before. We know that it's, it's a massive educational thing. If we're talking open banking, people are afraid of what open banking is. Have we called it the right thing? Open banking. And I don't think we've joined that up well as an industry today. We know open banking is going to be here for a while and, and will develop. But I don't think we've joined that whole life cycle piece up yet with how open banking can truly enhance that journey. Well, I think that there's an interesting point of is open banking called the right thing? It's also probably a question of how big has the term got now? But I think it's fair to say that that core principle of being able to share your own data is echoed in your business model. So you make it possible for consumers to do the work once. And actually, it's shorter the once, but just the once and to share it among the four to six creditors that they might have. But it's a bit more controlled. How does your sharing work? Who's in control? So the way it works, if I'm in conversation with a lender I owe money to, that lender would signpost them to IEHUB. Consumer consent, I then fill in my I&E. On, on our platform, I have a choice. I can use open banking. We have open banking fully integrated. So I can either use open banking or I can follow these smart workflows that we've developed within the system. Typically today, to give you some rough numbers, we're seeing about just under 25% of consumers select open banking. It is growing, but that's the typical kind of split today. So once they've selected which, which journey they're going to go on within our system, they then follow a process where they fill in their INE. They may want to come back and update the INE at some point in time, or they share. And it's at that point then where they can decide who they share with. So they may well share with just the organization that signposted them to IEHA, or they may well share with the other lenders that they owe, owe money to as well. It's, it's, it's totally their choice. You know, and, and this is where it comes back to that consumer being in, in complete control of, of their of their kind of journey within part of the process. Before we move on, I do just want to pause a bit on COVID. I did a lot of webinars during COVID. I've done a lot of talking to people. And for a long time, the message was, actually, it was far less bad than it could have been. But there's a bill to pay. And so it feels in terms of the broader timeline that we're heading out of the active COVID period, you know, touch wood. But at the same time, that means all the government support has now finished. So the UK went longer than most, but even here, all the furlough programs and such are now over. Are you now starting to see in the collection space this wave building up of the actual COVID risk coming through consumers that are now on their own and having to deal with COVID debt and or COVID job losses and such? So I'm definitely seeing signs of that for sure. Just, I mean, and there's, there's a number of ways we, we're seeing those signs. I mentioned to you the surveys we're doing, all heading in one way. Some of the feedback we're seeing on some of the surveys are pretty astonishing, really, in how people have got to the state they're in financially, one where they've they reached out for help. So that's definitely on, a, on an incline. We're seeing organizations that are using us now coming to us asking for support on operational readiness. They're forecasting more volumes going to be hitting collections next year. How do we train our agents? How do we just gear up for this higher level of, of volumes coming post-Christmas? 
we can see it's happening. Just, you know, every day we're hearing fuel bills increasing, um, petrol diesel increasing, furlough ending, national insurance going up next year, Christmas in itself. So I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago and people are trying to get a joint view of when do they forecast things really hitting badly. You know, is, is it, are we a month, three months, six, six months away? And there was a consensus, you know, that February, March time onwards, we're likely to see a big, big uptick, I think, in, in volumes. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is that in that grander scheme of things, it can be a little bit easy to say, well, actually, when this all started, we had provided X amount and it was way better than it could have been. And we do know it's going to lift a bit, but we've budgeted for that. So it's not that big a deal. And that separation from the human story, the human cost of it. You're obviously right there working with the people involved and you're making mental health a key part of the, the business. What we've done, we've invested heavily in, in that consumer journey, trying to make that as, as, as easy and as simple as possible. And we, we continue to invest in that journey. For me, though, what I'm trying to bring it all together and kind of add more things to that journey. So you know, that the whole vulnerability piece, obviously, we, we hear that term now every every week. So we signpost to vulnerability services. I'm looking to bring in kind of other means of helping that consumer. So if there's if there's a way of identifying where potentially they could have other forms of income, for example, welfare benefit, which they haven't applied for, that's all part of the journey that we need to get to. From the feedback from our creditors, they're, they're definitely seeing situations that are a lot more complex. Their agents, they're saying they're having to deal with such more difficult situations. Another example I gave you is, is, is gaming. We're having conversations in that space where previously, you know, you wouldn't ask um, a debtor if they had any gambling challenges. I think that would just be classed as entertainment. There's those kind of areas we're looking at now to kind of really expand that whole I&E. Are there patterns in there that we should be aware of, questions we're not asking? Definitely seeing things are changing for the worse, unfortunately, over the next six months and beyond. I don't want to besmirch an industry uh, without any evidence, but I feel like we've known about income and expenditure or affordability for a long time. But still, I feel like lenders often didn't want to ask a question they didn't want to know the answer to. So in lending, this would be true. In gaming, it would be true that this consumer is paying their debts so they can afford it. And we're not going to ask anything beyond that because maybe they shouldn't be paying this gaming bill. Maybe they shouldn't be paying this new extra loan. It seems like you're spending an awful lot of money on consumer debt. And, you know, consumers are allowed to spend their money how they want. It is a gray area and a tricky area, but lenders do need to not just say, well, in practice, they're paying their debts. Yeah, I think so. And, and that's why we, we, we really want to make sure that journey is as insightful as possible to make sure that the, the, the two-way discussion between the consumer and the agent is as accurate as possible. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. No longer can you just assume things and tick the box. Why is this person in the position they're in? And it's asking those questions in a certain way based on the information you've seen within the INE. There was an example I saw where um, a consumer, you know, they, they, had a, they had a problem. And they said, if somebody had asked me the question, I would have shared the information, but no one asked me. And it all, it all kind of washes out in the end. If, if, if an agent agrees a payment for, I don't know, £50 a month, and that arrangement is broken in two months, that consumer is back in the cycle again of establishing the whole INE process again. So... You, you have to break that cycle, and I think it's the more investment into that INE, the better for 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 both. So, and we're we're seeing that in in the results we're seeing, and, and there's a utility company that uses recently, and they got forty percent people more through the system with an amicable um, arrangement plan, which they had compared to previously, and that was all down to what they'd invested time and, and data quality in the INE. Your, your mileage may vary on the number. But it really does show, I think, that if you don't make collections something to run away from, it's a lot easier. So instead of chasing people with a big stick and then catching them and getting all the money, help work with them. Consumers will come to you and will, if you're reasonable, they'll probably be reasonable. This is the perfect time to build a relationship. If you can help somebody in their moment of trouble, that's where you build loyalty and that's where you build a, a lifelong relationship. And I think that, you know, that positive experience, particularly if it's somebody who's had a few negatives in the past, that's surely going to build a lot of loyalty to the lender that stood by them and helped them. And now you've got a consumer who's educated about the process, who's had their fingers burnt and knows what to do to avoid it. It's the long term, isn't it? As you say, you know, you're in collections today. You, you, want to, you want to maintain that relationship. And I think compared to many years ago where, as you said, it was a case of, right, you owe me money, you owe me £100, I want to make sure I get that money regardless of the other debt you have. You'll always have a commercial angle, but th- those days have gone. You know, it's, it's now all around treating customers fairly, which is a good thing. It's getting into the situation, as I said, having much more an informed dialogue, having an appreciation for those three, four debts that you've got. And how can we help you through that journey of, of paying some more, all of those debts off? And we're seeing organizations where maybe, maybe they're the first lender that debt is spoken to of a range of three or four debts they have maybe. But we're tending to find then that organization 
wanted to take the lead of having that conversation and owning that relationship with that debtor. So you know, pay us whatever you owe us, and that's 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 kind of that works for you and us. But we are we're also appreciating that we can see you owe money to these other three lenders, and that you can have to pay some of that debt back as well. You know, when it comes down to primary, secondary debt, you know, we have all that called out within our system. Yeah, and I think, and again, if we do that all once, we avoid the chance of trying to please whoever's on the phone now. Say, oh yes, I'm definitely going to pay you back. You know, I've got that in the budget, and then getting on the next phone call. No, 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 you're definitely the one we're paying first. Yeah. You know, you can yeah. just have everyone there. Everybody can see the picture. Everybody being reasonable can come up with a reasonable approach without the sort of fear and the competition of, well, if I don't go hard, somebody else might go hard and I might lose out. I think it is just a much more adult approach to bad debt to say, well, you know, to some degree, obviously some of these utilities and government is not so much that we gave you a loan, but we are all participating within this system and this is a case where yeah, the, the original agreement is in trouble let's make the best of a bad situation together there's still a way to go i share an almost email address with somebody a complete stranger who shares a few initials and things in common with me so sometimes this person's emails come through to one of my email addresses and they're being chased for a few debts and it really isn't a pleasant thing to read and they're not even mine but certainly if you can fix the way that lenders deal with the loans that went wrong consumers are accountable too but if lenders can take responsibility by investing in these sorts of programs I mean I think it does show good faith yeah, we're seeing a lot of shift in the market, really, especially with some of the bigger organizations, utilities, some of the banks, where they are looking to invest in those customer journeys into collections. I guess pre-delinquency, look, look at the signs pre-delinquent of, of how customers are trending. Can they help them at an earlier stage? And then when they've gone into collections, you may hit another process within that organization where we need to refine your INE again. Or we may pass you on to an external agent. Guess what? You need to do another INE once you speak to them again. So we're speaking to these organizations to see how do we streamline all of that? Again, coming back to doing it once. It's investing up front in the right INE at that one one time event. So the link then can be used across the whole ecosystem of collections. So we're doing a fair bit of work in that space as well. And you go through a form like that, and the more is asking you for things that you are tired of filling in over and over, those sort of processes, you start to just put in the minimum possible. And so I think if you've got a collections process, this is the fourth time this week someone's asked you to fill in an INE, you're just going to try to get it over and done with. Whereas you're going to invest and do it properly once. There's more information for everybody to work with. So it does, to me, feel like a win-win Now, uh, let's change tack just a little bit. I've never worked for a utility myself, but collections in utilities, to me, that feels like the perfect place for the rest of us to learn from because it's very difficult for a utility to actually do anything if you don't pay them back to cut off people's water. And yet, utilities are able to go through these processes and collect from their customers. So it's not about the threat of your house being foreclosed or your car being repossessed. People generally, if you want to pay you back, they want to work with you because you know, if, if the water company can do that, then surely you as a bank could do that too. 
again, it, it comes back to the point you made about developing and enhancing that relationship. So we have a number of water companies using us purely as a way to, once they've done the INE, them assessing, does this individual qualify for a, a certain kind of social domestic tariff? We can see maybe you're struggling, you, you owe this level of debt. Let's see your INE. Uh, let's see where you, where you live. Guess what? You qualify for this special tariff. So in the end of the day, it's a good thing for the consumer. And for lenders that want to maybe explore those services a bit more for their customers, iehub.co.uk, I guess, is the easiest place. Where else could they go looking if they wanted to learn more? We've just, just relaunched our website. That, that site there you just mentioned, that, that's, that's the best place. But what, what, we, what we're finding as well is many of our clients, they now have us on their websites. So part of that strategy of, of dealing with, with individuals which haven't got yet into collections, reporting them on the website that if you are experiencing issues, please visit our partner, IE Hub. That's actually a great point. So I, I was about to wrap up, but I, I'd like to go back into it quickly. When I was in portfolio management, we would often look at consumers and we can see, okay, here's a consumer that's running up towards their credit limit with their credit card, and we're seeing a decrease in their score. We can see or we can highly expect that they're on their way into collections. We should do something about that. And then the question would be, well, what can we do? We can't really decrease their credit limit because they haven't actually done anything wrong. There wasn't much that could be done for the consumer, or at least that we thought of that, that could be done. And actually, as you call that out now, one thing we really should be doing as lenders in those sort of situations where we see through our own data or, or through the consumer realizing it themselves that, hey, I'm in some trouble. I haven't missed a payment yet, but it's getting really, really difficult. Maybe I'm dipping into my savings to make these payments. Here's a resource that can help you maybe relook at your budget, look at yeah. your income expenditure, negotiate now a payment plan. And I think that that is something that lenders should really be thinking about. Absolutely. I, I think that's so important as, as we go into the challenges of next year, for sure. Yeah. So, Dylan, thank you very much um, for, for making the show. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Brandon, thanks very much. And thank you all for listening. And indeed, for your wonderful reviews, please do keep those coming in. And if you haven't done so already, like, share and subscribe to the show. How to Lend Money to Strangers is written, hosted and edited by myself, Brendan LaGrange, and recorded outside the actually not that rainy city of Maidstone, England. The theme tune and show music is by I Am Wake. And you can find show notes, written transcripts, more in-depth articles and details on how to book me for speaking engagements at www.howtolendmoneytostrangers.show. I'll see you again next Thursday. It's me again. Just in case you've had your full of lending talk, did you know that I've also published two pulpy action-adventure thrillers? Draken and Butterfly Hill are both available as ebooks, paperbacks, and audiobooks from Amazon and other online retailers. They're not Shakespeare, but they're not expensive either, and Ford Clarion Reviews compared Draken to Clive Cussler turning Raiders of the Lost Ark into a shoot-em-up. Full disclosure, that was in a three-star review, so I'm not sure it was meant to be a compliment, but I think you get the picture. 
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.